in three, two, one. As a leader, you have to manage other people, but first and foremost, you need to know how to effectively lead yourself. If you're ready to leave the bench and embrace the growth mindset towards leadership so that you can take your business or organization into the future, then you'll enjoy my conversation with author, speaker, and leadership expert, Jason Muhammad. Well, Jason, welcome to the program. Delighted to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation, Michael. No problem. You know, you're a workshop facilitator, you're an author, a keynote speaker, and you also have a professional podcast. You're a producer and you host a leadership podcast called Leadership Is. And we wanted you here today to talk about leadership, where it is today, the state of the union in regards to leadership, how the pandemic maybe changed it, things we can do for people who are aspiring to be leaders within companies. We have people at all walks of life within our audience. So we've got veterans. We've got rookies. So I think a lot of the things you have to say are going to be important to our audience. Before we get there, though, how did this all start for you? What led you down the road that, hey, I'm going to start working on leadership and develop programs and insights all around leadership? Where did that come from? Thank you for the question. It started in Minneapolis roughly around 2008. I was working at a charter school as a behavior interventionist, and I used to coach some of the teachers on how to manage the behavior of some of the students because we had some challenged students. Where we lived, where the school was actually, was in North Minneapolis, where it was the crime that was in Minneapolis was condensed in that little area. And our school, our charter school was called the Best Academy, and it was a 99% free and reduced lunch kind of environment. However, it was an oasis in a desert, a desert, in other words, because our students met and succeeded with the state requirement tests that were there. And so there were times when I would coach teachers on how to manage the behavior of students. And one particular day, I was having a a, a real rough day dealing with the management of student behavior, teacher concerns, parent concerns, right? right? And and it, it felt like a ton of elephants was just like on my chest with the pressure that I was dealing with, not so much as physically, but emotionally and mentally. And so I started journaling a lot. And as I was journaling, decided to one day to, to just let me turn this into a book, the journal that I had. And it was called How to Beat Elephants on Ice. And I used BEAT as an acronym, which stands for Become Educated and Trained. And so I took what I was doing with the teachers and with the students and discovered that, hey, this, this is something that could turn into something different, something you know better. And so I started doing what is called career coaching. Well, I got my life and leadership certification from a school there that was called St. Thomas Christian University. And I started life coaching and then it evolved into career coaching. And then there's some some more to it from there. But yeah, that's how it got started. Well, you do a lot of work with emerging leaders, high potential employees, students to develop and embrace a, a growth mindset for leadership. Why is a growth mindset important? Well, growth mindset, learning that concept from Carol DeWitt, who talks about growth versus fix. And in that, I had to really deal with our students who came from an environment where they were always told that either it is or it isn't this or that. 
And so when they brought that mindset into the school, you know, had to help them and even help some of the teachers to understand that things can be what you design them to be, what you hope for them to be and what you work toward them becoming. And so fixed and growth, growth is like becoming, fixed is like being. So when a person thinks that they're stuck in who they are, they don't have to be. You can evolve from who you are into who you want to become. And so there's always room for improvement. There's always room for mistakes. There's always room for growth. And so where you are right now does not have to determine where you want to be. So you don't have to stop trying to become who you want to become simply because of where you are right now. That's why that's really important. Oh, that's good. Well, you're talking about the gap. There's always a gap between where we are today and where we want to be tomorrow. And you do that in your consultancy is to try and close that leadership gap between managers and leaders by discovering by educating and developing and activating leadership potential. You do that through your seminars, your workshops and keynotes and so forth. Where is the state of that today? How's that changed and evolved? So when you started to where it is today, we've got five generations of workers in the workplace and we've got young managers. We've got people who don't want to work anymore. We have people leaving the workforce. Have you seen it evolve or transition or change? I have. Within my organization, right, it's called Adapt, Innovate and Connect. And so those are the three things that I truly believe that a next generation leader's mindset. From before the pandemic, people were really not prepared for closures of businesses, closures of schools, people being fired, people being released from work. And so what the pandemic did for the world, right, was lifted a veil of what was missing our economic and in our business infrastructure. You know, so it didn't do anything. It just unveiled what was already there. Right. And so therefore, many organizations had to tweak who they were, what they do and how they do it. For instance, there's a Vista print commercial that I absolutely love that bears witness to adapt, innovate and connect. This female business leader who had a restaurant on a waterfront and it was a, a hamburger joint on the waterfront. And so when she would open up the window, she would notice that fish would jump through the window and land on the people's plate. And she innovated her product and started looking at, hey, okay, so I need to change this. So she turned her hamburger joint to a sushi joint. And then she made more money, got her name out there more, and of course, improved and increased her brand. And so I think that with the pandemic, how it exposed a few things of how the workforce and the labor force has to improve and adapt as well. What I mean by that is to your other part of your question is between 2022 and 2025 and 30 and beyond, the labor force is going to be 75% millennials. Because you have roughly around 55,000 or so baby boomers that are leaving the workforce like every month. But what has happened is that has also produced another, we're not going to say gap, but opportunity for people to be taught and trained because you got to keep in mind, the baby boomers were driven by the paycheck, how to make sure that their family is secure. But in this day and time, millennials and the generation after them are not really driven so much by the paycheck, but by how companies and organizations value their input, value what it is that they can do and how organizations see how they could increase 
and improve this organization's culture. This is what drives millennials. And so they may seem like they're lazy. They may seem like they don't want to do this. They're not excited about the stuff that drove the previous generation. They're excited about, can I make a difference in this culture? Am I going to have a long-standing relationship with this organization? And how do you value my input? You know. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that's where it has changed. They're a little more idealistic. They're a little more purposeful driven. I'm a baby boomer and it was work, work, work and be as productive as you can earn the money. And you, you might have half a dozen careers in your lifetime. Millennials are going to have a dozen careers in their lifetime and they're moving around. Right. If, if you don't capture their attention, value what they do. Right. They're going to go elsewhere. And so developing right. leadership skills, I think, have changed because there's managing and then there's leadership. So as a leader, we have to manage other people. But first and foremost, we should know how to effectively lead ourselves, right? So what are two right. habits that you believe every leader should master personally before we should try and lead others? First one is learning how to deal with emotional intelligence, right? What, what? triggers you and then what triggers others and how to manage that relationship, how to manage that mind mindset because people go through a lot of things in life. So it can't just be the the hammer down kind of thing. You know, you got to know empathy in other words, right? So, you know, emotional intelligence. And then number two is it's minding not only just your emotions, but your behavior, right? Your own habits. And I use habits. I love acronyms. So habit stands for how all behavior is transmitted. And so you want to study your habits. You want to study what you do, how you talk, because of course, communication is 93% nonverbal, how you are with people. So it's all in building impactful relationships. So number one is emotional intelligence. Number two is your habits and how you build impactful relationships. Like that has to be intentional. Right. Makes sense. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C, and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Jason Muhammad. Well, in your Leadership Is podcast, you talk about four major business trends that you see happening between now and 2025. Number one is growth mindset. Number two is emotional mindset, which we've kind of just touched on a little bit. Number three is flexibility. And number four is diverse inclusion. So let's dive into those because I think it's important for leaders today to keep them on the radar. Let's start with that. So we talked a little bit about growth mindset. Anything you want to add to that at all? Nope. That's just what it is. Just keep moving forward and just knowing that you have to make room for mistakes. You have to make room for development. You have to make room for growth in your growth mindset. Like there's no such thing as 
failure. There's win and learn. There's win and learn. So that's the growth mindset. As it relates to flexibility, we're dealing with some of that now with the millennials, right? And so again, like we stated, the the COVID-19 didn't really do anything except for pull the veil up. In 2009, they started looking at research on flexibility in hybrid workspaces before the COVID-19 took place. And so some people were even trying that. And so now that has to be included in the hiring process, right, of some of these organizations if you intend on keeping some of your new millennials and the next generation after them. I think it's what is Gen Y or something like right. that. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So if you plan on keeping those guys, you've got to have room for flexibility in there. Now, in that flexibility, in that hybrid workspace, you got to have an accountability component built in that too as well. Of course, trust is a <laughs> trust is an easy thing to break, a hard thing to build. And so you got to keep that in mind as well. Right. And some of the things you're talking about and, and teach, millennials mm-hmm. are expected to make up about 75% of the workforce in the near future. As you said, the baby boomers are leaving the workforce. So what do leaders need to know about millennials and their values or even the Gen Y or Gen X? And we've talked about their ideals and their purposes a little bit. Is there more to it than that? Other than just, hey, I want to feel valued. Yeah. The key number is 74. What I mean by 74 is great leadership is 26% innate, but it's 74% developed. So if leaders can keep in mind that there are roughly, and I'm really not going to talk too much about it here, but there are five major leadership traits right, for candidates to be brought into leadership positions. Because you can have Bob, who's been on the job for 20 years, and you see him as a great performer. Then you say, well, hey, Bob, Bob knows the organization's jargon. He grew up in the culture. He knows the products and services. And then you want to shift and transition Bob because he's been there so long into a leadership position. But you, you soon discover Bob is really not a people person. <laughs> and so so what you've done is you've lost a great performer and gained a bad manager. Even, in fact, Gallup says that the wrong talent match is promoted into leadership positions 82% of the time, which leads to 75% of the reason why people quit their job. And so when you are bringing in a millennial, you have to use empathy or emotional intelligence and looking at what triggers and whatnot in your communication to them, whether it's verbal or physical, learning that person, right? Learning what drives them. Because again, leadership has to be intentional. And their focus primarily, I think, is like you said, it's being purposeful, it's being appreciated. It's also health and well-being is important to them as well. Absolutely. That's one of the other parts of that that flexibility, right? Is that health and well-being. And in fact, that should be one of the incentives that are put into your hiring packages when you're hiring these new millennials. In fact, Burnout is even considered a health thing that they can file on the insurance. Really? So, you, yeah. So people really want, you know, organizations and leaders really want to be careful and mindful of how you're driving your employees because you may drive them into an insurance claim. Sure. It raises a good point. So how can employers invest more health and well-being of their employees and why should it be such a high priority? Well, simply because of the fact that, look, what's his name? Gary Vanderchuk says, I'm going to come back to your question, but he said, you should fall in love more with your ideal customer, even over your product. 
And so your ideal customer is one who is loyal. They spend a lot of money with you and they're free advertisement by the fact that they go out with word of mouth telling people how good your product is, how good your culture is, your organization is. But if your ideal customer cannot say that about your organization because your employees are unhappy, right? They're disengaged. The culture is toxic. Your people are burned out. Your people are tired. So if you have a health and well-being, if this person says, I need a mental day, give them a mental day. Again, there has to be some accountability components built into all of this, but give them a mental day. Because if you know that you're driving them and you know that they are successful at what you're driving them at, why not give them a mental day? Why not let them rest for a minute? And what that does is that shows that, hey, this person, this organization respects me. This organization values me. They'll let me take a mental break from all of this work that I do for them. No, it makes sense. And that's where it's evolved to. I mean, I've seen some of the numbers where productivity over the pandemic, it's counterintuitive because there's some companies want their people back in the office. You've seen Elon Musk with Twitter ordering everybody back or you're fired. They want to know you care about them. And I think people actually do the right thing. In other words, when you give them a leash, like you said, you have accountability systems. If it's happening every couple of weeks or taking a mental day, well, maybe there's some issues. And really it's it's a whole new look at leadership. You actually call it disruptive leadership, I think. I've heard you say that disruptive leadership is needed more now than ever. What is that exactly? And why is that? Well, disruptive leadership causes change and change causes disruptive leadership. Disruptive leadership is leadership that's not afraid, right, to go against the status quo. Disruptive leadership is leadership that says, hey, I'm going to give my people these days off. I'm going to give my people this mental break. I'm going to make sure that my people have X, Y. It's not about having soda pop and vending machines in there for them all the time and all this kind of stuff. No, it's not about that. It's about daring to be different. What happens in most organizations, it's an old cliche kind of deal, is that you have a a fish tank, right? And the fish tank is extremely dirty. And all of the fish that are in the fish tank are dirty as well. And then what you decide to do when you see an employee that is dirty is you take that employee out of that dirty fish tank and then you replace them with a clean fish and you put a clean fish in this dirty tank. And eventually over time, what's going to happen is that fish is going to get dirty as well. So what has to happen is you have to clean the fish tank, then take the fish out, clean the fish, and then put the fish back into the clean fish tank and watch the culture and your organization begin to soar. So if organizations were to be intentional about the culture and then not just hiring and firing people simply to fill positions, of course, it's almost come to that, right? Where here in Asheville, North Carolina, it was like 25,000 jobs available and only 9,000 people registered or identified as unemployed. So that's almost three jobs to every one person. But are you making these jobs? Are you making these places, these organizations, not only suitable, but invitable for people to want to be there? right? To want to be a part of your organization. But it's all evolving, though. The footprint that we have there, which is diverse inclusion, I call it diverse inclusion because it's already a fusion of diversity and equity already in the diverseness, right? So now they're included. What does this mean? This means that regardless of the pronoun, regardless of the letter, right, that they have, they're not only included, they're not only asked to the dance, they're not only asked on the dance floor to dance, 
but they're also a part of organizing the dance, right? right? They're also a part of the invitation of it. And so guess what the next step to diverse and inclusion is? Humanity. So eventually, we're going to get away from DE and I training, DI trainings, and we're going to start having humanity training. That makes good sense. I think that's actually a good value bomb right there. The problem, like all things in our country, is everything becomes political, right? So it's like if you've got a DEI right. or an ESG initiative, you're this. And if you do this, you're that. Or it gets labeled under woke. And there's so many new variations of that term that people aren't really right. looking at it and going, no, this is what it's really about. And the data, the economic data is amazing on companies that have embraced diversity. And I'm not talking right. about just paying tokenism to it where your HR director is of color. And that's it. Because when they come out with the right. problem, everybody in the organization is going, okay, you got an agenda. I'm talking about when you look at the right. board, you look at the leadership, you've got a diverse board and diverse leadership. And unfortunately, right. we still see a bunch of old white guys, straight old white guys up at the top of these organizations. And we need not be scared of that. Like there's an economic reason for them to embrace diversity. And that shouldn't be the reason they do it. But if you need a good one, that's a good one. Absolutely. Yeah. And see, most organizations are still under the whole hierarchy of great man theory where the leadership men can be the best and the greatest leaders in an organization and whatnot. But research shows that when you have a female who's over a certain department and in leadership positions, there is greater engagement from these employees and these teams than it is with men. So I think that the value of diversity has to really increase to the point to where we really start promoting humanity over differences. I like the term the humanity because at the end of the day, it is a humanity issue. I read a lot of biographies of some of the great leaders and they'll all tell you that luck comes into a lot of this, right? And I mean, they work hard, there's no doubt about it, but luck is such a big component. You're in the right place at the right time and things kind of move. So it's a matter of evolving and then looking at the value each of these diverse groups can bring to the organization. Uh, global, if you're expanding on a global basis, attract new customers. It's important to have different representation. People want to see people just like them. I've been to sales conferences where I see 300 sales guys and most of them are white men. I see a smattering of a few females and one or two folks of color, not a diverse organization, right? You look at the management, you look at the leadership. So they should embrace it. They don't need to be scared of it. It's actually a good thing. It adds strength to an organization and the data is there. There's tons of studies that show that. So, which goes to the hiring as well. So as a leader, and you've worked in career coaching. So right. if I was an employer looking to say, fill a management position or a leadership position, how would I go about identifying or differentiating the employees with the best leadership potential. What am I looking for? So you're not looking for the perfect candidate. You're looking for the perfect potential candidate. Love it. What we mean by that is that this candidate has room for growth and development. They have a growth mindset. They come in with a growth mindset or they come in with enough of a mindset that it can grow into a growth mindset. And then, of course, they save room within themselves for growth and flexibility. So for instance, some organizations won't hire someone who's overweight. You know, right. I mean, you, you're discriminating because they may look like they don't fit, you know, what looks like a perfect candidate for your organization. But there's an old saying about overweight or even lazy people that you should hire them because because of them being overweight, because of them being lazy, they're going to find an easier way to do something. They're going to find an easier way to get <laughs> something funny, yeah. done. Right. So the fact is you want this done. 
So for you to discriminate against someone and not looking at hmm, how can I use this as an asset for my organization instead of this person is not going to work hard. You're talking about going against the grain though. Why are we wired that way? Do you think? And it's true. I've seen sales organizations where everybody's beautiful in the organization. Like the boys and the girls, everybody's like, wow, what a good looking company or managers when they leave, when they're replacing themselves or leaders, they're looking for someone who fits their mold, who does it just like them. And because they want to leave a nice legacy on it. Why are we wired that way? Do you think? Well, simply because it's a face. Everyone wants to have a nice looking face, even though I may be suffering from cancer, but I look good. Right. Yeah. I, I may be suffering from hypertension. I may be suffering from diabetes. Hey, but I look good though. So you can't tell just by looking right. at me that I'm suffering an illness. So that's how some organizations say, at least we look good. You know, so you put on this beautiful face here and people are walking around and some of them with this face, the fake smile and whatnot like that. Right. But again, internally, the organizations, it's shrinking, right? They're afraid to say something because when they was in the meeting the last time they said something, they got chopped up about it. But then when we bring in, you know how the restaurants do when it's time for the inspector to come, everyone walks around, they do the things that they should be doing already on a daily basis. But then they start, yeah, just to save face. So I think that it's that kind of deal that we we at least need to look good. We'll work on being good, I guess, later, but we at least need to look good. They're very image focused in the image. I mean, I know restaurant chains where when they go to hire, they put a code, a special code, they're suitable or their guests or their clientele. And they might hire incompetent people, but if they look good, they're hiring them. And I think some yeah. of those old practices need to go by the wayside. Because as you say, there's some good people and there's yeah. some people in different backgrounds that can add value in many, many different ways. And organizations with diverse policies or practice diversity and flexibility and focus on growth and focus on EQ or emotional mindset really are leading the yeah. way. Really leading the way. I mean, we have a long way to go. There's no doubt about that, Jason. But you got to be smart about it. You can't have a, okay, so you, maybe you can have this person, but imagine going into a Hooters. Right. And you're seeing something that's out of the norm. Right. You know what I mean? From Hooters. Hooters has a specific, you know, people come in there. But yeah. here's something different. That's a whole nother market that you could market with. That's right. With that's something right. different. That's right. Yeah, it's all in how you do it. You know. Yeah. And there's more people yeah. like that than there is on the other. It's like, it's like your supermodels. You don't see them walking down the street. You see the average person walking down the street, how they look. We all look uniquely different and we judge books by their cover. Unfortunately, that's the first impression. Yeah, we, do. we need to overcome that. Let's talk about leadership from uh, the female perspective. We've got different genders and, you know, however someone identifies really. So it's not just male or female, but let's talk about women collectively and men collectively. And I realize we have everything in between. Between. But for them, they have a whole unique set of struggles, don't they? Absolutely, they do. Not only a unique set of struggles, but a unique set of strengths, too. So what we mean is, okay, so their struggle is, number one, they're looked at as weak because females are naturally softer and more compassionate than men are. Empathetic. Emotional connection that some men don't have. But that is also a strength because emotional intelligence is one of the four trends that are taking place. When you have a species of the human being that is designed to be a nurturer by nature, compassionate by nature, then how much more could she be an asset to your organization in tuning in to the 
problems, to the trials, to the tribulations, to the, the grunts, right, of the organization and being able to nurture this employee back to health, right? Instead of us saying, hey, you can't cry. Men don't cry, you know, this kind of deal. When you have a, a female leader that's in there that's showing this love and compassion, and you say, oh, she's just a woman. But look at how much more engagement this woman has created by being a woman, right? right. By being this leader, by being this compassionate human being. So, I mean, we have to be smart about it. And looking at their struggles is it's a woman. And men look at it from, sometimes, unfortunately, look at it from what goes on in the bedroom. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, And you can see why they feel undervalued because of the way our society is. You know, what's interesting in almost every college now, engineering, med school, you name it, there's more women than men. So that's changing. I saw one stat, except for business. In business, it's still male-dominated, but I think it's shifting and it's slowly moving. They're kind of trying to hold on to that last bastion of their power, right? What's interesting, though, with women is I was reading a stat on dating sites. So say take a dating site like Match.com. It's almost equal distribution between men and women on the site. So there's almost as many men subscribers as women subscribers. But if you were to take 50 of the men and 50 of the women, all 50 of the women are just going after five of the men. They're going after a certain type. For instance, if a woman's got a college degree and she's gone to school and she's educated, she wants to marry a guy who's college educated. She just does. So their power is coming. And we're starting to see that with the diversity. So it's really exciting. I grew up with a strong woman leader. My mother was a you know a best-selling author. My, my wife's strong. She runs our organization. I've got five daughters that are all strong and successful in their fields. So I've seen what they can do. And quite frankly, if I have a bias, it's really a higher a woman before I'll hire a man all day long just because they're multitaskers. They can work multiple layers of the relationship. Tom Peter, the management guru, he wrote In Search of Excellence. I had a couple of opportunities where I would speak with him on the stage and he'd first come out and go, hey, Mr. CEO, I want you to listen to me. And this was 80s and early 90s. He go, here's my best advice I could give you. He goes, fire all the men. He says, fire all the men. And the audience is mostly men, right? And of course, there's a few gasping. He says, okay, don't fire all the men. But men, you better start picking up your socks and start doing it and developing the skills. And as you say, that EQ, that emotional quotient, that emotional intelligence so that you can right. bring some heart into our organization. So it's not just numbers anymore. Right. It's evolved. And that's what you're right. saying. Your message is loud and clear that companies need to develop heart. And it's not entitled exclusively to women because there's men who can bring this to the table as well. Your emotional intelligence so that you can bring right. some heart, heart to your organizations. Think about it like this, right? And this could be changing as well with diversity and inclusion with how people are doing this. But you got to think about this woman. You married, might got children. I do. We have seven of them. Yeah, I have five. So, so you're in the club. Yeah. What I'm about to say, being in the delivery room, right? Watching this female go through that threshold of pain. I know I couldn't do it. Me too. I know I couldn't do it. So you have a woman who's designed, right, to not only go through that level of physical pain, but the mental anguish that comes along with that. Mental Why pain. not have that person? as a leader in your organization. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. They're willing to do things yeah. we wouldn't be willing to do. On that note, all you'd have to do is phone me up and say, hey, Mike, if you're thinking about getting pregnant, I just went through this delivery. Don't do it. And I'd go, okay, Jason, you make a good point. I mean, I'll take your advice. Men, we yeah, don't even yeah. have to go through it. We'll, we'll learn from each other. But you're right. It's that mental fortitude. And we've always suppressed that. And that's why our cultures, it's evolving. We are evolving as people and as countries and as nations. And to watch the evolution, it was 1920. Old white men gave women the right to vote. 
right? We had to wait another 45 years before people of color got the right to vote. Black women, black men, 1964. And I was alive during those times, right? So I've heard the speeches, but we're talking just over half a century, like not that far ago. And then we look at right. companies and, you know, the CEOs, I remember in the football, so leaders on the football field, the NFL, we never had black quarterbacks and it was restricted. Now we have black quarterbacks and they're kicking butt. Right. They're getting it done. Corporations, executive, we're getting great women leaders. And we haven't had a woman president yet in the United States, but we've had prime ministers in Germany right. and England and Canada who are leaders. So India, it's coming. And I think there are times coming in. Men shouldn't be scared of this. We're getting stronger and we're getting better. We're getting more resilient because of it, too, to your point. Let me tell you another point to it, though, Mike, that the other side to it is because it's tricky. We should not become unjust to what has always been trying to be diverse and included. So, in other words, if we see a candidate that fits the script, that is a potential candidate, you no know, perfectly potentially candidate, we say no, because you are a, a older Caucasian male. We're trying to be more diverse. And so now you have just committed a, another act of not being just, in other words, right? Simply because you're trying to practice diversity and inclusion with it. And then again, you're still being discriminatory. Really a balance that has to happen. So this is why if you have a humanity screen, right? in your process of interviewing and hiring, it simplifies the process for you. You want to look at not only the best fit, but some organizations have these diversity and inclusion quotas that they have to meet as well. But again, you don't want to be unjust and discriminatory in doing that simply because someone fits the old mold of what leadership has like, you know, it's tricky balance. It's a balance. Well, and a lot of companies nowadays, Jason, they're hiring blindly, meaning you fill out, they don't know your name. They fill out the candidate information. You go through the interviews, you go through the process and they never see you and they don't see you until they've actually engaged with you or hiring you. And yeah. just for that purpose, that's why I like your point around humanity. We need to move it from diversity into just general being humanity. Look at what humanity looks like and how it's represented out in the world. And from country to country and from culture to culture, and then build a culture that embraces all humanity. And I think that's the point of the message. And well, Jason, this was excellent. So Jason, I know you work with organizations. If you were to have the strongest thing that you do and how you benefit organizations and companies, what would that be? It's basically, if they have already identified a leadership candidate, they would come through a training with me. And what I would do is a trait assessment with them, T-R-A-I-T, trait assessment, which are the five leadership traits and train them into mindset training with me. And then, of course, through that whole training and assessment process, let them know this person really does not have too much of a growth mindset. You need to reevaluate this person. Because not only do I do it for leadership candidates, but I do my leadership training for employees who are on the cusp of being fired as well. Are they worth the assessment? Because to replace an employee takes between 33 to 50% of that employee's salary to replace them when you can spend a third of that with my organization to reskill that employee and save that employee, in which, of course, will improve your company culture. So, yeah, that's, you know, looking at who you call a candidate, a leadership candidate, being intentional about that candidate and letting them come through a training with me. And then we can help you to make sure you got the right seat in the right seat. Like you say, the cost of a mishire can run into the tens and hundreds of thousands, depending on their role in that organization. So a small investment, you can go in and, like I say, do a proper assessment and coaching and know whether you got the right, right. candidate. 
Hey, Jason Muhammad, this was interesting. Your company is JM Leadership Development. We'll put all your contact information into the show notes. Love your insights there and really enjoy that whole concept of moving it from diversity to humanity. I think you're onto something with that one. It just works and it kind of stays apolitical, which is where we kind of want to do it. So Jason, thanks for being part of the show today. Absolutely, Michael. Thank you so much. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.